Welcome to Thrive Church. We are so happy to have you here with us today. My name is Judah, lead pastor here at Thrive. And, you know, we are now officially in the Christmas season. So we are super excited about that. And also, in a couple of weeks, uh, we are doing our Christmas services. Uh, there are some cards in the lobby. Uh, we would invite you to come. We'd also encourage you to invite friends to come. Uh, we are going to be having uh, a bunch of different services. All of them are listed uh, on the card if you get them. And uh, it's just going to be a great time uh, celebrating uh, the birth of our King Jesus. Uh, this week, we are kicking off a brand new series called Ghosts of Christmas. And, and it's kind of loosely based on the old, you know, Charles Dickens uh, novel, Christmas Carol. And in that story, there was three ghosts uh, that came and haunted Ebenezer Scrooge. They were the three ghosts of Christmas. We had the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and then the ghost of Christmas yet to come, the ghost of Christmas future. So we're going to be taking a look, not specifically at those things, but at our past, present, and future. And what these ghosts were in the story of Dickens that he wrote was they were messengers brought to Scrooge to give him warnings and instructions, and in his life, specifically on how to celebrate Christmas. Well, it's also interesting that in the Bible, the word angel is translated uh, from the Hebrew word malach, and that means angel, but what the, also the definition is, is messenger. And it's a messenger, and all throughout the scriptures, we see different angels, different uh, uh Things that are speaking to people, to prophets, speaking, delivering messages from God to the people, to people of Israel, to us as well. And so today, specifically, we're going to be looking at the ghost of Christmas past. And you know, honestly, if we're, if we're honest, most of us have some ghosts in our past, don't we? We've got some things in our past. We've got some skeletons in the, the closet, things that we did or things that we thought or things that we said. Some of us have things that were done to us that we wish that we could forget. These are the things that tend to drag us down in our life, things that are in our past. And we stay chained to our past, don't we? We stay bound to our baggage and we're tied to our shame. We're tied to these things. And it's, it's no wonder that we can't make any progress in our life. It's no wonder that we can't move forward because we're tied to so much baggage. It's like if you've ever flown before, right? And then after you get off the flight, where do you go? You go to baggage claim, right? And you're just there. Everybody's just there like zombies staring at the wheel. There's my baggage. <laughs> There's my baggage. Yep, yep, that's mine. Yeah, the big pink one. That one's mine. You know, it's like we're looking at all these things, these things that, that we carry around with us. And, and many of us, it's like we're, we're at this, this baggage claim of our life. So, yeah, that's my baggage, and I just carry it with me everywhere I go. Well, throughout Scripture, we see messengers, angelic beings that, that speak to people bringing a message, coming, delivering these messages to people, messages of guidance, messages to instruct us and direct us. So, so we're going to be looking at some of these instances throughout this series. Today, specifically, some from the past, from the Old Testament. This is the first part of the Bible before Jesus came onto the scene, and specifically, messages that can give you peace from your past. We all have a past. Some of us have past that we wish that we could forget. But I believe that God wants to give you peace from your past. 
in Isaiah chapter 9, we see here the prophet Isaiah is getting a message from the Lord. And this message is a message, it's a prophetic message, and it's a message to encourage us. And it says here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, it says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You know, this is a message for those who live in darkness. You know, all of us started in darkness. Every single one of us started our life, started our journey in darkness, fumbling our way through, tripping and falling and failing. We're wandering around in the darkness, bumping into things. We're bound, and then the light comes on. And when the light comes on, it's like, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all the obstacles in my way. You know, isn't it great when the light comes on? It's like, oh, I kept tripping over that. It's because I didn't see it because the light was off because I was wandering in the darkness and I couldn't see what was tripping me up. But now that the lights come, oh, I just got to step over it now. I can just step over these things now. See, in your notes, if you're taking them, God came for those living in darkness. See, sometimes we get it wrong. We think that God came for the people living in the light, but none of us were living in the light before God. None of us were. We were all living, stumbling around in the darkness, and God came for those who were living in darkness. So who lived in darkness? Well, you did. I did. We all did. And this message came 700 years before Christ, saying that there will be people in darkness, and they will see a great light. You know what brings darkness into this world? Sin does. Sin is what brings darkness into this world. And in the past, all that anyone knew was darkness. When this, when this message was written, the only thing that people knew was, was, was darkness. That's all that they knew. But the messenger is bringing a message of hope, a message that the light will shine, that the light will come on, that the light will shine in the darkness. How do you describe light to someone who's only seen darkness? Like, how do you describe that? Like, imagine someone who's only ever lived in the dark. How do you describe what light is? It's like, well, it's brighter, right? It's like, I don't know. Like, how do I describe that? You can't fully describe it until you experience it. And here, here that everyone is living in darkness, just as each and every one of us have spent years sometimes living in darkness, and it says that the light will shine. For several hundred years, people read this verse. They would read this at their local synagogue, and they didn't know what it meant. They didn't know what it meant. Like, what does it mean for the light to come on? Because they had not seen the light just yet. They were in darkness because of sin, as it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For everyone. Who? Everyone. That means you and me. We've all sinned. We've all sinned. It says, for everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Like, God's standard is here, and, like, we're way down here. Like, we, we just fall short of God's standard. We don't, we don't measure up. We don't even come close. And all of us have ghosts in our past. All of us have things that we wish that we could do over, do differently, or have a second chance at. We, we all have things like that. And there's no way for us to, to work off all the bad things that we've done in our life. There's no way that we can get light on our own. In your notes, if Jesus hadn't come, there would be no hope. There would be no hope. We would just still be bumbling around in the darkness. 
bumbling around, just bumping into everything, just twisting and turning and lost hopelessly because there was no light. If he hadn't come, there would be no hope, but he has come. And he offers us healing from our past. He offers us peace from the past. Scripture tells us that the wages of sin, the punishment of sin, is death. And we all know, like, like if we sat down, like all of us know we've done things that are wrong. Like every single one of us, like we know that we've done things wrong. Like we know deep down on our own, we're just a bunch of jacked up misfits, right? It's like honestly, like, like that, that's all that we are. Like that's all that we can manage on our own. It's only through the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And here's the problem with things. As soon as you start trying to move forward in life, as soon as you start trying to get closer to God or get free from bondage, we start getting this voice in our head. Maybe you've heard the voice like this before. You're not good enough. If only people knew what you've done. You don't deserve forgiveness. Who do you think you are? You're so messed up. You're beyond repair. Like, God can't use you. Like, look at everybody else. They're perfect. And, and look at you. You're, you're a screw-up. Like, God can't use you. We hear this voice over and over in our head. The prophet Zechariah, in the Old Testament, before Jesus came on the scene, the prophet Zechariah was visited by an angelic being that had a message for him. And, and he was delivering this message to Zechariah. Look what it says in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Then he showed me the high priest Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord with Satan, this is the devil, the accuser, standing at his right side to accuse him. This, this, the, the picture in my mind is like this, this, this great like cosmic courtroom scene. And you have this, this high priest standing there, but you have the devil, and he's just accusing him. The, this word, uh, uh, you know, accuse, this is talking about an adversary, someone, someone who resists you and opposes you, and he's bringing these accusations against Joshua the priest. We see him in Scripture elsewhere that the devil comes around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, that his method, that he's coming to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And here he's trying to destroy this man, Joshua, and he's a, he's a slanderer, and he's saying all kinds of evil things, and, and Joshua's standing there, and, and the, the, the devil's just accusing him, and, and God is his judge. And he's trying to destroy his reputation. And he's saying all these filthy accusations. And he's saying you're marred by sin. And, and, and you're, you're no good. You're nothing. And you're guilty. Going on to verse 2, he says, Then the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. May the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Isn't this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? See, the devil's bringing these accusations he said that, that, that Joshua's like this burning stick pulled out of a fire. You ever do that before? You pull a stick out of the fire, and, and, and it goes out. Like, it's still charred. It still smells, but it wasn't consumed because it was snatched out of the fire. And he said, this, this man, he's like, isn't he like a burning stick snatched out of the fire? He's pulled out. He's set apart. He's scarred, but not destroyed. He's pulled out, he's filthy, he's messed up, he's damaged, feels unworthy, feels like he's not good enough. And he goes on in verse 3. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. So the angel of the Lord spoke to those standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to them, see I have removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with festive robes. 
Then I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So a clean turban was placed on his head. And they clothed him in garments while the angel of the Lord was standing nearby. Now, it's, it's kind of interesting because as you read this, you see again, you see God, you see this guy Joshua, you see the devil. The devil is accusing Joshua. And you know what? God never disagrees with what the devil says. Never once. He's like, no, he didn't do that. No, he's like, yeah. He's just kind of like nodding, like, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, I know what he did. I know every single thing. It's like, uh, yeah, you, you're saying this, you're accusing. And sometimes we think of the devil as an accuser, like, like he's making up stuff about us. No, he's not. Usually he's saying the things that we actually did. But here's the great thing for us to know in your notes is that God's forgiveness is more powerful than the accusations of the devil. God's forgiveness is more powerful. The devil is accusing you, and he's accusing you of legitimate things that you've actually done, but God's forgiveness is greater. And God says, you know what? You know what? You're rebuked, Satan. I'm going to change his clothes. I'm going to take off his dirty clothes, his soiled clothes. I'm going to take off this sin, and I'm going to put something on. He's going to give him clothes to match the occasion. Clothes to match the occasion. You, isn't that hard sometimes? Like you get invited somewhere, like to a wedding, and you're like, like, what, like I don't want to overdress, but I don't want to underdress, you know? You ever do that? You show up at the wedding, and, and you're like all dressed up, and like, oh, it was a casual wedding. It's like, why didn't you let us know, you know? Or you go there casual, you go there in jeans, and like, oh, what, what are you doing here? This is a black tie affair, you know? Or, how, how about this? How about you get invited to see the, the new king of England, right? They say, oh, you, you're, you've been invited to come and have dinner with the king. Like, how are you going to dress to go there? Right, you're going to find the best thing that you have. Maybe you go out, you buy a new dress, a new suit. You want to look as good as you can. But let me tell you this, we are all underdressed to be in the presence of God. And, and so, so here we see Joshua, the high priest, and he's standing there in front of God, and he's underdressed. And he's like, uh, yeah, I, I, look, I look pretty bad right now. Because all of my clothes, they're marred with sin. All of my clothes, they're dirty, they're filthy. And, and, and you got this, this enemy, Satan, the accuser, and he's accusing you. And then God says, you know, let me change your clothes. Let, let me take off your filthy clothes and put on something nice. See, the, the interesting thing is, is in our world, in our court system, generally they say that you are well, innocent until proven guilty. See, in God's court system, in, in your notes you can write this down, we are all guilty until made innocent. See, that's the thing. We're all guilty. We're all standing. There is no assumption that I am innocent when I stand before God. There is no assumption that I'm innocent. I'm like, yeah, I'm guilty. The devil's hurling his insults. He's saying all these accusations. Like, yeah, well, you're right. You're right. But God is the one who makes us innocent. See, the devil is trying to bring into your life chaos. See, this is the, the messenger in this past. The messenger in the past is, is speaking of a day when we can finally have peace. When we can finally replace the dirty garments with clean garments. When we can finally be forgiven. When we can finally have peace from our past. Picking back up in Isaiah. Where we started this out. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. It says, for a child is born to us. Again, this is 700 years before Jesus was born. For a child is born to us, and a son is given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the what? The Prince of Peace. Underline that. The Prince of Peace. And his government and its peace will never end. See, God is sending his son, Jesus, 
to be the Prince of Peace, to bring peace to our world, to bring peace to our lives, to give us peace from the past. And this is a peace that will never end. Says he's the Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. This angelic messenger was pointing to a day when wrongs could be made right. See, in your notes, only the Prince of Peace can bring peace in the middle of chaos. Only the Prince of Peace can bring peace to the chaos of your life. Only the Prince of Peace can give you peace from your past, from the things that you've done, from the mess that you've made, from from, from the things that have happened to you. Only the Prince of Peace can bring peace to you in your life. So where does this peace come from? How How do we get this peace? Well, it says it here in Luke chapter 1, verse 78. It says, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Did you catch that? In the first verse it says, because of God's tender mercy. Because of God's tender mercy. That the morning light in heaven is about to break to give light to those who sit in darkness. All of us have sat in darkness. All of us have lived our lives in darkness, have wandered around, have bumped around in darkness. And he's given us light in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. In your notes, because of God's mercy, we can experience peace. We can experience peace in the middle of the storm. In the middle of the chaos, we can experience peace. We can experience peace from the things in our past. See, see, mercy is what shatters the power of sin. Mercy is what breaks the bondages of sin. Mercy, see, God alone has the power to break the hold of sin. God alone has the authority to dismiss the accusations, to help us to remove the shame and to set us free from the bondage of our past. See, God loves you so much. That he offered you mercy. And he broke the, broke the power of sin. And even now when God looks at you, he loves you. He loves you. He doesn't see us broken and messed up. He sees us as whole and pure and complete before him. He sees you as faultless. See, mercy is what breaks the power of sin in our lives. But for many of us, things in life have cut us pretty deeply. And when you get cut, you know, these things eventually they heal. And eventually maybe the pain leaves. But what's it leave behind? It leaves behind a scar. Anybody have any scars here? Anybody have scars? Some of you guys have scars. Um, I got a scar. I can't show you because it's on my leg. <laughs> it's right here. It's like, a, it's like a frown right here on my knee. It's a big frown. Um, I was 10 years old, a couple days before my last day of school. And, and I, was, I was running into the house. Like, I run everywhere. Like, even here, like, if I'm going from my office, I'm like, I'm just, I just run. I don't know. I'm always in a hurry to get somewhere I don't want to be. Um, you know, and so, so I, I was running, and I was running to get to, to my house, and, and there was a couple of steps to get up onto the porch, and I went, and I'm like, I can clear the steps. I always would just jump and just clear the steps, and I jumped. But apparently I slipped just a little bit as I jumped, and I went, and my knee hit the corner of the step and just kind of flopped it open. Um, and so, uh, so I went, and I, and I ended up getting stitches for it, and um, you know, it was, you know, still don't really have much feeling there, but it, it's, you know, it's a st- scar. Whenever I see it, it reminds me of, of that event that happened in my life. 
Any of us, we have scars. You know, guys love to sit around and talk about scars, you know. It's like, oh, let me show you this scar, show you that scar, and look at this one. We all have some pretty, you know, grisly scars, things that that have happened in our life. And, And it shows us a place where we've been cut that's healed, but now we have something that reminds us. Some of us, we have scars like that. Some of us, we have self-inflicted scars. Physically, emotionally, we have self-inflicted ones. Some, some scars that we have in our life are out of our control, right? Somebody else hurt us, and we have a scar. We have physical scars that we can see, but we also have some invisible scars that nobody can see. That when they look at your life, it looks like you're all put together, but you know deep inside you have scars from Words that were said to you, rejections from, from, you know, things that have happened in your past, from abuses. You have these scars and nobody sees these things. And honestly, we wish they could go away. Like, we don't want the scars. We don't want them there. But here's the, the good news. And your notes that God loves to use scarred people. God loves to use scarred people. And he wants us to reflect that to other people. He wants us to reflect his mercy to other people. See, maybe, maybe you were a victim. Maybe something happened to you. Maybe you got cut very deeply in your life. Maybe, maybe you went through something traumatic. And then, and then people say things like, like, well, time heals all wounds. And then you find yourself in a situation where you still have pain from something that you experienced 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. You still have this pain. But Jesus heals all wounds. Jesus heals all wounds, but we may be left with a few scars. See, the enemy, he may try to destroy you. You say, well, look what you've done. Look at these scars. Look at these cuts. Look at, the, look at these things. Like, like, God can't use you. See, God wants to heal you. See, a scar doesn't mean that you're finished. A scar means that you're healed. See, you might think that your past limits you, but let me tell you this. Scars don't have to stop you. So it's all part of your story. We love to sit around and tell stories about our scars. Guess what? Jesus has more scars than you do. Jesus had more scars than you. Remember Thomas? Doubting Thomas. People call him Doubting Thomas for asking for a very reasonable thing, right? It's like everybody's saying, oh, Jesus is alive. And Thomas is like, I saw him die, so I'd kind of like to, to have some evidence here. I'd like to see him and put my fingers in his scars and Jesus shows up to him and says, yeah, you want to see some scars, man? I got some scars. I got them on my hands, my feet, my side. Take a look at my back, my head where the crown of thorns were. Jesus had more scars. You know, if you think about this, Jesus could have removed the scars if he wanted to. He didn't have to keep the scars. But he kept them as a reminder. See, Jesus has scars, but he rose from the dead. And he's seated at the right hand of God. And it's a reminder to us. So what makes you think that your scars disqualify you? See, God loves to use scarred people. And in much the same way that Thomas looked at the scars of Jesus and says, wow, now I believe maybe somebody can look at your scars. Say, wow, if God could heal you, then maybe he can heal my brokenness. Maybe God can give me peace from my past. See, we want the scars to go away because we don't want to be reminded of the hurt or the betrayal of the sickness or the damage. And the scars may not go away, but they don't have to keep us from moving forward. See, God 
He's healed us, but he leaves these reminders. See, the, the scars aren't there to hold us back, but to remind you of the grace of God, that we worship a Savior who has scars, and we can be okay with that. We can be at peace with our past. And when the accuser comes and says, oh, you're nothing, look look at you, look at all these scars, look at all the things that you've done, man, God can't use you. You say, yeah, you know what? You're kind of right about all that, but God's forgiven me anyway, and he's given me new clothes, and he's forgiven my sin, and he's made me clean and he's made me whole and he's made me pure before a powerful God and I don't have to worry about the pain in my past. I can be at peace because of what Jesus has done, that Jesus came to be the prince of peace and he established a kingdom where the peace will never end and where we can live in that peace even now. We don't have to be afraid of our past. We don't have to be in bondage to the sin and to the shame any longer because Jesus heals those things and he brings us into his eternal kingdom. He forgives us. He offers us mercy and grace so that we can be at peace with our past. And yeah, sometimes things happen and there's things that we look back and we're embarrassed of, but maybe those things that have created these scars are the very things that God is going to use for his glory, just as Jesus' scars remind us of the suffering that he went through for our salvation. These scars can remind us of the goodness of God and how he healed us, how he redeemed us, how he saved us, how he washed us clean, and how he gives us peace from the things that have held us back. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now. We thank you for your goodness and mercy. We thank you that you are a God who heals, a God who restores, and a God who brings peace. Thank you that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Emmanuel, God with us, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of peace. So we ask you to give us peace now. God, please use us Please bring transformation and healing into our life. Deliver us from the bondages of shame and addiction and abuse. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus is your Lord, don't let another day go by. It says in Scripture that if we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, we say with our mouth that Jesus is our Lord, that we can be saved. Don't let another day go by. Won't you call on his name now and say, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my king, and I want to experience your peace. So God, we thank you. We thank you that even though you are our judge, that you stand in defense of us. That when the accuser comes, throwing his accusations our way, that you're the God who forgives, you're the God who cleanses, the God who heals, the God who restores. We thank you for your mercy, which gives us peace now. Father, please flood our lives with your peace. Whatever we're going through, whatever is haunting us now, whatever ghosts are in our past, whatever skeletons are in our closet, Lord, we ask you, we invite you to give us your peace. You are the Prince of Peace. You are the King of Kings. And we thank you that you and you alone can break the bondages of sin. We thank you that even in this dark world, your light shines through. So let us be people of the light. Let us walk in your light. Walk in your freedom. Walk in your peace because Jesus has come to set us free. In Jesus' name, amen.